Welcome to the Portion Podcast, a weekly discussion of the Torah portion of the week, live from Cherry Hill. It's, it's Saturday, Saturday night. night. <laughs> we had to. We absolutely had to. Well, welcome to our welcome to our first live show ever. Thank you all for being here. Thanks to the Cats JCC for uh, including us in this uh, in this event. Uh, I'm Aaron Roller, and this is my co-host Rabbi Jonathan Bienenfeld. Pleasure, everyone. Shavuot Tov. Thanks for coming out. So, how many of you are uh, are are regular listeners to the show? Show of hands. Wow, that's like so. That what is it? That's like it looks like four hundred. It looks like <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Can you hear us in the back? For by all, the way, yeah, great. For all all of you out there listening at home, the just it's a huge auditorium. Just imagine the biggest room you've ever been in, and and double it. Um, so the uh, so for so the, for those of you so for those of you who are who are new, um, firstly take out your phones and subscribe to the show right now. Um, but also, um, so every week, uh, so Rabbi Bienenfeld and I are uh, we are brothers in law, and we we do this weekly show. We sit down and we uh, read through the 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 Torah portion, live on the air, and you just listen to us read through the whole portion. No, I'm kidding. That sounds, um, that sounds terrible. We we uh, we talk about what the what's going on in the Torah portion. It's a talk show, um, basically, uh, about what is happening in the weekly Torah portion of the week. And uh, fresh off the heels of uh, of Shabbat, <laughs> we're we're still thinking about Vayakhel, but we uh, we're we're moving on now to next week. Next uh, next next Shabbat, we will be reading. Uh, Parshat Pekude, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, Pekude is very, very, spe- is very special because it is the last, it is the last Torah portion in the Book of Exodus, uh, and that also marks because we had a recording snafu, our very first week recording. We didn't do an episode for every, um, every uh, portion in Genesis, so this will mark our first completed uh, book of the Torah. So this is a pretty, this uh, is a big deal. Pretty exciting night. So when you say like chazak chazak, this is going to mean a lot for us. That's right. Right. And, and then try to contain yourself. And we're going to. And we're going to. So, um, but but also we're so we're going to talk a little bit about Pekude, and then we're going to wrap up, um, sort of try to try to wrap a bow, put a bow on the Book of Exodus and what we've what we've been learning, what we've been talking about. So Pekude is, I mean, at first blush, this would be one of the the driest, most technical portions to talk about in a live in a live setting. We told Sabrina this. Yeah, when, we, when when it was first pitched to have this this week, we did ask yes. them to reschedule the forum to a more exciting Torah portion, and they just it was we it, were rebuffed. I would I said I guess is the best uh, way yeah, of describing it. Yeah, yeah. but um, we should we get some more chairs? I think. Yeah, this is even the biggest room in the world doesn't fit everybody it's who remarkable. wants to hear this show. It's, it really should have made it's, the biggest for those room of the you world a little bit larger. Yeah, for those of you listening at home, it's just it's packed. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, all right, so. Uh, so Parsha Bakude, so we, we usually start by giving just a, a brief overview of what the portion's about. And this is, so we've been dealing with the building of the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle. That's this uh, uh, a place of, of prayer and sacrifice um, in the, that was constructed in the desert by, uh, by the Jewish people. And we've been talking about, there's been a lot of, a lot of Torah about the, the tabernacle. And this marks the end of it. And it marks the, um, like I said, so it seems a little dry. It's the accounting. It's, it's like how much... Uh, different materials were used to build to build different things, which is uh, yeah a, a dry technical. It's is a little dry and it's a little technical, but I think that and there's... we've also been on this on this content. This is this is partial number four uh, in which this is all taking place, right? So this begins uh, over. This begins about a month ago, a little bit more with uh, with Truma Tetzave. We've done we've done a lot. 
a lot of podcasting about uh, the manner in which all these things were built. So this is already Parsha number number four, in which this is taking place. This is really the this is the the final the final account. This is making sure that all the books are balanced, basically that all of the money that was raised to be dedicated to the Mishkan actually actually was there and it was actually spent and it was all uh, and this, this is sort of the final final summation of all uh, all that was raised and to uh just to put it in context the, there were the two first two truma and tetzave were god commanding moshe to to do all this then you get the sin of the golden calf and then you get them acting on it the what the last what we just read uh, earlier today and and then next week where it talks about the actual implementation so there's a this separation between command this massive massive sin of the the jewish people building an idol and worshiping it and then in, in a sense you know the, some it takes the form of reconciliation with god uh i think is the, the way it's it's put out there that they've and and there's some some um odd parallels uh, you know, I mean, the the it's a golden calf. It's made of gold, and the the Mishkan itself has a lot a lot of gold in it. Um, and yet, they're they they're obviously and the the, Mish, the the golden calf is there in the midrashic tradition. It almost talks it talks about it almost as like magic, like the the gold goes into the fire and the calf comes out almost like fully formed, like it's this sort of demonic, um, you know, like just surreal thing that takes place versus. The level of specification and technical detail that we've gotten. So I, I was thinking about and that craftsmanship, right? We've spoken a lot and, about Betzalel and Aholiav, who are sort of labeled, and, and and we we meet. They're introduced as sort of the two chief artisans of this entire project. Yes. And this is very much the the actual work of their head. This is their handiwork, and it's taking the raw materials and actually creating it. And it it really speaks to sort of the, I guess, the partnership that's taking place with God in order to be able to create that that space that temple that environment in which he's ultimately going to be served as opposed to something that just comes fully formed and uh and and there's this rabbinic tradition that's exactly what took place when it came to the the idolatry the mess up the gaff so i, I wanted i want to follow up on something we talked about last week which was you were raising the question that you have this uh this master craftsman betzalel who is supposed to be gifted beyond anything normal he is He's like an amazing. He's great at metalwork. He's great at carpentry. He's great at at fabrics, and he's you know inspired by God. And he's the lead, the lead designer of of the Mishkan. But you were saying that it's ironic that we we tend to think of artists as being um, fiercely creative, and yet he seems so circumscribed by the exacting details here. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the case. Meaning, and, and we were talking about this a little bit over Shabbos, and it's maybe the distinction you were saying between maybe an artist and a craftsman, and that he's somebody who's very very talented, but isn't necessarily exhibiting his own his own creativity because everything really is to I, to a T. I mean, exact measurements and exact detail, and and the way that everything is going to look uh, to a T is already is already given to him, and and these are the specifications, and it doesn't seem to have a whole lot of Wiggle room, and I don't know if it's so much uh, a matter of, of perhaps it's irony, but that that it is it is specifically done in that in that way, and that specifically taking somebody who is just bursting at the seams otherwise with creativity, and perhaps that's why he's chosen. Meaning, in private life, we know of Bitzalel as an artist, as somebody who is fiercely creative, and that's where his his talents actually express themselves. But he's then told that that's all good, that's all wonderful, and that. Um, and that actually creates a certain uh, uh, skill set that we want, and we want to be developed, and we want to be dedicated to the uh, to the working of the temple. But that, at least in this instance, 
there, there have to be directions that are followed, and there have to be instructions that are really kept to. I think that's, that's very telling of what the space is going to become. This is going to be a space in which we're not so much exhibiting our creativity as much as you know, require some, some very uh, significant hand-holding and being told exactly the process, at least here in the Mishkan, as to how we are to best approach God. So I, I wanted to bring a different perspective here um, that we get we get in this week's portion. It says, uh, Oh, I'm not reading the right verse. Um, the uh, It talks about... Again, editing. Yeah, yeah, we're going to definitely fix that up. It says, But Saul did everything that God told Moshe to do. It doesn't say that he did everything that Moshe told him to do. It says he, told, he did everything that God told Moshe... And and the Rashi talks about this. Rashi talks about it. the Midrashic tradition says there were things which God tells Moshe, which Moshe did not fully convey, but in his own inspiration and his own creative vision was so aligned with what needed to be done and with God, he was so divinely inspired that he was able to do some of that based on his own in his own um, his own creativity. Essentially, was like plugged into God's plan, and I, I was thinking that that is. A little bit, it's not just that he was circumscribed by all these technical details. It's actually telling us something that, you know, you're, I think it's almost like a, a, a paradox or contradiction that on the one hand, it's very, very detail oriented. But on the other hand, he is able to, by following his own vision, essentially tap in to discover what it was that God wants. And I, I think that's a, a really interesting, I, mean, I think that has bearing for us as well in terms of like following, following your, you want to be, you know, conscious of, of the rules and conscious of the technical specifications, but also then tap into something that feels very, very, you know, if, if, if you're really tapped in, you can, you can sort of divine what, divine, I mean, I think the word is very telling, you can divine what's out there. I think what's, what's very interesting, really fascinating about that Rashi is that Rashi then brings that back to his name. And I think we mentioned this on one of the, I don't know, I think we mentioned this at some point, but that the name Betzalel, it is actually Betzalel, that he is in the shadow of God. Meaning to say that he is almost, uh, again, maybe it's a matter of being circumscribed, but, but somebody who dwells specifically in the, in the shadow of God, who, who says that, that is my, that's my space and that's my place, there is this degree of intuition that, you know, it's, it's almost like you begin, to, you begin to know somebody so well, spouse, a, a parent, a friend, whatever it is, but you begin to know somebody so well that I don't need to wait to be told. Right, that I can just sort of intuit that that this must be what you're what you're really interested in, what you really what you really want. There's um, um, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, his great work Path of the Just, Masilas Yisharim, speaks about that this is really what we mean when we speak about about true piety, true grounded piety, meaning that 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 piety, true true chasidus, is really a function of doing just that. It's knowing God so well. And being so close and being so so in on that relationship that you can actually begin to intuit not only what you want me to do because I know it's what you've told me to do, right? Not only that these are the actual mitzvot, but that that I, I, I get a sense of this being sort of your, you know, God's like personality almost. And it sounds like that's what's happening with with Batala, that he's in the shadow of of God, so he's almost being overshadowed by God. But but because of that, he's then able to exhibit his own creativity and his own intuition, and it's actually it, it's right on on par. It's right. It's it's parallel there with with what God wants Himself. Yeah, I, I really like that. And um, something else I wanted to talk about was something you were telling me um, that you heard from Rabbi uh, uh, Jacob J. Schachter. Yeah. Right? Um, about about the accounting that there was 
number. I, I'm not uh, so so good with math. I, I can relate to the idea of trying to make the numbers add up. You've got an Excel spreadsheet, and you know you're, you're manipulating the data and trying to figure out where where you. Uh, it must have been much harder when you were in the desert, and uh, you know. I, I don't know how much of math had been invented at that point, but uh, <laughs> so you have. I think they can add. I mean, they, I think addition was they were, they were pretty good with addition. Addition was probably was probably they invented it already. They probably had like, that one down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. anyway, they were saying Calculators that, that less, not everything yeah. not everything added up though. Not everything added up. So there's this amazing medrash that that speaks about Moshe being there and very much publicly, right? Like everybody everybody knows and everybody's waiting, and there he is trying to make sense of it all and balance the books, right? That, that whatever, whatever it was they raised was properly spent and that, and that everything sort of makes sense. And there's, there's a shortfall. Something doesn't add up and he tries it again. He tries it, you can imagine with like, like this long stick, like out in the, out in the sand, like trying to write all the numbers and <laughs> well, make sense th- of it this all. This gets into what we were saying about, you know, the room for create creativity. You've got creative accounting going on. That's exactly what's, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... So it just it doesn't go, and again and again and again, and and Moshe, you know, being very self aware, starts to realize, like, oh my God, you know, this is going to be like the the first and greatest you know rabbinic scandal in history. I mean, this is going to be horrible. Like, can you imagine the leader of the Jewish people? He's collected all this money, and it just hasn't been spent properly, um, and he feels them all, you know, breathing on his neck. And then suddenly, Medrash talks about God opens his eyes, and he realizes, ah, he missed the hooks. Right, the hooks that actually hold the the the, the coverings of the of the tents together, like like he that's what he just didn't that's what he didn't get that's what he didn't what he didn't grasp that hold the the tents to the actual um, to the actual pillars, and um, and then you know he he realizes it and he adds it all up and and great so uh, so Rabbi Shachter Rabbi Jacob J Shachter speaks about this is like one of his favorite midrashim I've heard him speak about this so many times. And he talks about, you know, what was it that Moshe overlooked? He mm-hmm. overlooked the kind of thing that we often overlooked, which is those items that are so small, they just sort of fade into the background, but it's what keeps our lives together. It's, it's the, the, the vavim, the hooks, the things that actually bind, the things that actually keep us together, the things that actually make relationships stick, the things that actually hold our lives together, and sometimes they're the most critical, they're the most fundamental, and without them, everything just sort of dissolves and disappears, and yet they are so easily overlooked because we just assume that they're always going to be there, and that's really sort of this back and forth, that's this give and take in this medrash, that that which is so critical and so important and is so obvious and so necessary that it's so easily overlooked because it's not necessarily so novel, but it's what we have to you know open our eyes to and and, and recognize is really out there. So moving moving to the end of the of this week's Torah portion, I was and I want to guess move into talking about the the book of Exodus overall. I was really struck. So you know I was thinking about Genesis and Exodus as really being like kind of one narrative unit. I think that you know we're, next week we're going to start on Leviticus and it's going to be a whole a whole new ball game in the world of uh, of animal sacrifice and detailed laws. But this is largely narrative. We go from the creation of the universe until the creation of this tabernacle sure. and and the tabernacle and we've discussed this in in other in other weeks but the tabernacle in in many ways is supposed to be uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has this phenomenal idea that the that when God makes space for us when God creates the world a, a space for humans that's called that's called whole God makes space that's where that's where the, the secular world that's where things which are not connected to God come in where where humanity and everything happens when we make space for God. 
That's what's called Kodesh. We, when we pull back and we build a space for God, a synagogue, a tabernacle, that becomes holiness. So there's this inverted relationship. And we start in Genesis with God creating the universe. And we end with the Jewish people just having completed the tabernacle. And I, I was struck by, this, by the language here. Hopefully I'll read the right verse now. Um, it's, and, it's, and it's the last one, really. It just talks about, just, just not even going to read it. It's just the use of the word mishkan, which has the root of, of shachen, which is to be a neighbor, that God comes in as a neighbor, but also God comes in as to rest. And I was thinking about that idea of resting versus the very, very first couple of verses in the Torah, in Genesis, where it says that, that the Spirit of God was kind of hovering on the surface of the water. That God goes from a place where he's, he's kind of hovering. It doesn't really denote any kind of uh, permanence, any kind of security. To a place where God now has a place to, God now has a place to rest. So that's awesome. So I love that. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. That was yeah. Um, so Exodus, Exodus, and this is the mutual appreciation society part of the podcast. Um, but the uh, but yeah. So I, I I I thought about that as kind of we're we're closing out now that something new has been created, and then I think that that gets into really what what I I think would be the more. Uh, you know, obvious or the, sort of the first thing you would think when thinking about Exodus is that the most exciting stuff is in the beginning, right? The the film adaptations, uh, you know, uh, Prince of Egypt, Ten Commandments. That you know, there was that one with uh, was it Russell Crowe? Was Russell Crowe Moses? Christian Bale? Somebody? Christian Bale was. I didn't see it. Um, but the uh, but they don't they don't get to the tabernacle ever. <laughs> Um, and yet, I, I think that by looking at it in this way, as, as the, it, the creating the tabernacle, the golden calf, you know, is, is you know, you could, I think Prince of Egypt ends with Moses, uh, I saw the cartoon, Moses, you know, it ends with, with Moses on Mount Sinai bringing down the, the tablets, and that's mission accomplished, and yet... Splitting of the scene, no? He has to no, get it that get, far. No, it gets past the splitting, no, it yeah. the last scene, it shows him, all of a sudden he's I'm like... Right. No. Yeah, I think... No, I think, the last know, the scene, he's portion, like aged, you know? he's got, we'll have to, we'll have to... What? Huh? Post-credit. It's post-credit? post-credit. Are you sitting? No, you're joking. That's like the teaser for the sequel. That's right. <laughs> yet, yet to come out. And you know, then Nick Fury shows up. Um, <laughs> anyway, the um, <laughs> I, I okay. We'll have to go. We'll have to, the point is, they don't get to the end of the book. The adaptations stop definitely midway. And uh, you know, I think that's the that's sort of the looking at the end of, of Exodus. You'd be like, what's half of this book was not that exciting or it seems like if this I is mean, a I think book it's about what you would expect isn't it what you would expect meaning if we're if we're telling the narrative of, of how they i mean i think the the idea is beautiful and i think that is where we land there is a uh, there's a, a great thought from uh, from Nachmanides i mentioned it this morning in Shul, that that we actually have one of the many many names for the second book of the torah is sefer geula it's the book of redemption and and it's it's exactly that. This is exactly where you'd think that it would end, where all the great directors and producers in, in history felt that it, it really should, that either it ends at the splitting of the sea, and now the Jews are finally out, and it's really the end of the Exodus story, and that's redemption, or that maybe you actually have to come to Sinai, and you have to receive the Torah, and then you're a really redeemed nation. But I, I, I think it's right on the ball. This is exactly what Nachmanides says, that true redemption comes when we make that space for God, and that God then dwells in our midst. And it's uh, it, it is sort of a beautiful um, uh, coming full full circle that that when God first creates the the universe, there isn't a full a full space for Him. I mean, He's He's obviously there and He's and He's present, but He hasn't really been invited in yet by humanity. 
and now this is the first uh, the first opportunity, and we become redeemed as a function of of devoting ourselves in that in that capacity, pulling ourselves back to allow space for him. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot that we can take away from that. I think that there's like, I mean, number one, we talked about the tabernacle as like a portable Mount Sinai. The idea that they have Mount Sinai is this moment of revelation when when God reveals himself in this way that's never never happened before, never happened since. And the Mishkan becomes, in, and a lot of the structure of it kind of hints at this, becomes a way of, of taking that experience with you and making it real for you wherever you go. And I think that's something we can take with us in terms of our synagogues, our you know, in a, in a, whether you call it, you know, a, become a, an extension of that, you know, that we, we have, the Jewish people have built spaces all over the world that are, you know, in their own way, you know, mirror the structure of the Mishkan itself. And so, you know, it kind of continues on. And then, but also I think the more broadly thing, and I, I think I've said this in other conversations that like that idea that God is waiting for us to do something, right? The idea that God, God's work being done by us hearing his voice and responding to it so that it's only we only have closure when when the people have have responded in this way and and, and sort of taken it into their own hands to make uh, a space for God and I think that even gets to the accounting where it's an accounting because everybody counts like we have such a level of detail because people gave so generously and so wholeheartedly that it's not enough just to say we got all the stuff thank you but it actually is worth counting it all out to acknowledge, you know, these people were lived nearly 4,000 years ago, and yet we want to recognize that there was something very, very special in the outpouring uh, of generosity and wanting to create this, this space for them. Um, so we wanted tonight, uh, since it's our, our first live show, to open, uh, open the floor up to audience questions, questions about the show, about us, about the, the Torah portion. Whoa, 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 about us. Whoa, whoa. We don't have to answer. Whoa, whoa. We don't have to answer everything, but... Um, we should really do more more prep. We should try to talk during the week uh, a little more. I I, I I thought this was clear, but I guess not. Um, so if there's any uh, if anyone has any questions for us, I, I will. We brought a third mic, but I I bought the um, I bought the cord at a garage sale, and I don't think it works. So I'm going to. You turn- kept the receipt, right? I it they were it was a, they were moving it was anyway um, I'm gonna turn the microphone around you can come up and say your name and uh, and ask the question we'll try to do it we'll try to make it work that way um, yeah sir so my name is Michael Cohen and I'm sort of curious to know what your histories are it all starts for me in 1982 in Park Slope Brooklyn <laughs> it was a dark and stormy <laughs> night. <laughs> I, March twenty fifth. Now, um, the uh, I, so uh, sorry. I, I'm uh, um, I, I, um, I'm just a a guy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I'm yeshiva, yeshiva educated. Um, I'm from Brooklyn. Uh, I went to Yeshiva University, uh, studied there. I also have a have a master's in, in city planning. Um, nothing nothing about my biography specifically suggests um, that I would be doing a podcast about the Torah portion of the week. But um, I you know I thought that my uh, you know, I'll let, I'll let uh, my brother-in-law introduce himself. <laughs> Hi, I'm uh, Jonathan Bienenfeld. Uh, my my background, I uh, I'm a you know an Orthodox kid from uh, Long Island, and um, never uh, really had intended on on becoming a rabbi um, until a little bit later later in life. Went to yeshiva after high school. Went to yeshiva in Israel and uh, studied there for. One year that became two, and two that became three, and then came back to America, and three became you know it sort of kept on kept on going. Um, I got uh, I got uh, the the rabbinate bug at some point, 
and um, this wasn't because it's going to sound like because oh, I lost a bet or something, but moved out to uh, moved out to uh, Ohio, the northwestern uh, corner of Ohio, delicious little community called uh, Toledo. I don't know if anybody anybody heard of Toledo? Yeah, right, great. Ah, beautiful place, beautiful place. We miss it, but uh, we were there for three years, just about an hour south of Detroit, over the Ohio border. Um, and then, uh, and then came out here to, uh, Cherry Hill. I'm the rabbi at the Young Israel of Cherry Hill. And, uh, and I, I think that, uh, I guess everything suggests that I would be doing a podcast about the weekly Torah portion, but none of that is why. The reason why is actually because I have a, a pestering brother-in-law <laughs> who is the one who came up with this idea and, and has to say, oh, we, we should do this. And every time we would like have a conversation, whether in Shul or, or, or elsewhere about the Parsha and we'd start Especially when we would start arguing with each other and start yelling at each other. And it's like, oh, this is great. Like, we should put this on the air. This is, people would really enjoy this. I said, no, you're crazy. But, um, you know, anyway, we, uh, I guess, I guess 15,000 weekly can't be wrong. So uh, please tell your friends. <laughs> leave us, leave us, yes. uh, leave us a review on Yes, iTunes. sir. Come, you wanna... Hello, my name is Dory. I have a question about the Parsha. Uh, so where did the money come from to build the Mishkan? So where I'm going with this is that everyone came out as slaves. They did not loot any of the Egyptian possessions. No one had jobs. So where did the money come from? Because presumably most all of the gold went to the calf. So where where do the resources come from, money and precious stone-wise, for the Mishkan? So you know, you know the uh, the story of the uh, you know the guy who who comes to Shul, and um, and he says uh, you know he's talking about his new his new son-in-law, and he's talking to one of his buddies, and his buddy said like so what do you think of your new son-in-law, and he said well you know I uh, you know I we just had a conversation and I said you know like 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 you're married now and what you're just gonna keep on learning in yeshiva. I mean, like, who's gonna who's gonna like pay for the grocery bill? He says, "Don't worry, you know, like God will provide." And he says, "Well, that's great, but who's gonna pay the rent?" He says, "You know, like God will provide." Well, that's all wonderful, but you know, you're you're gonna have kids, and who's gonna who's gonna pay for them? He says, "You know, God will provide." So he says, "What do I think of my new son-in-law? I think he's great, but he thinks I'm God." <laughs> so you know, so I guess uh, I guess God will provide. I, I the, the truth is, I think there was abundant loot. There was abundant loot that came out of that came out of out of Egypt. Both, um, you know, both uh, uh, loot from the, um, you know, as they as they left initially, right? They they walked around and they uh, knocked door to door and they came out with, um, at the time, what may have been uh, allegedly borrowed possessions. But then there's also this. Uh, I mean, there there are rabbinic traditions about about there being sort of a second wave. Uh, no pun intended. A second wave after uh, the splitting of the sea. That these uh, chariots that were bedecked with all kinds of uh, you know all kinds of uh, uh, gold and gems and jewels and and the like that that ended up uh, washing ashore, but it seems that it that that this is where it came from. It came from it came from the the Egyptians. How do they know about it? So again, rabbinic tradition in Medrash talks about uh, them them uh, uh, discovering uh, you know all this uh, all this gold and all these valuables and all these possessions during uh, during the plague of darkness, but. The Torah itself testifies to them actually emptying out Egypt of of uh, no small portion of its wealth as they left, as they left, and presumably animals. Remember that there is at least at least the um, and we spoke about this a little bit, right? Was it was it genuine? Was it legitimate or not? When they said that they were just going out for for a few days, right, to be able to to serve God, and then they would have a holiday and they would come back, was that still the plan? Was that was it clear? 
did the uh, did the Jews indicate that that was still the the intention? But there were sacrifices, there were animals that were given as sacrifices, and there were you know other uh, other provisions and the like that that they took out with them to be able to survive to survive in the desert. So not not simply that God provided. Yeah, I mean they 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 borrowed from their they borrowed from their Egyptian neighbors before the before the uh, the plague of the firstborn. They they went out and said, "Can we, you know, what what borrowed can we in quotes." Well, so I mean, it's it's interpreted as being reparations that they were not paid. There's you know right. hundreds of years of unpaid labor. They are getting repaid. We talked about whether wh- why that was the form it took, a way which seems fundamentally dishonest. Um, I would recommend going back and listening to the old episodes for that conversation because it's a it's a long one. Um, but that's but but yeah, it come it comes from it comes from Egypt and it's interpreted as being reparations uh, essentially. And some of it in the Medrash talks about being washed up uh, after the uh, the splitting of the the Red Sea. Uh, any other any other questions? My name is Sarah. When you mention those vavim, those things that Rabbi Schachter says that we miss and that we don't pay enough attention to, what are some practical things that you would say in our real life relationships that we sometimes will take for granted? I would at this point, I would definitely say our spouses. <laughs> I would definitely say that at this point. The question, the question, the question, the question. Uh, th- that that is uh, that is Rabbi Bienfeld's wife, my sister Sarah Bienfeld. Um, the uh, the question was regarding the uh, the message of the hooks, the that that that, uh, that Moshe forgot to account for in his initial uh, attempts to to make it all add up, um, and how the things that we there are important things that hold it hold hold uh, hold it together that we forget about. Um, what are some practical applications? What are some things that we might um, forget about and take for granted that are actually vital in, in keeping it all together. So I, I'm kidding because, you know, the question comes from my wife, but that but that really is the case. I think that really is the case. I Meaning the idea of of there being, you know, the the glue that holds us together with other people and the people that we care most about are sort of the people that we tend to also take the most advantage of. Um, or or ignore because they'll just they'll just always be there. So the idea of something that can that can hold two things or two people or two entities together, it'll just always be there and it doesn't need maintenance and, and it'll it'll always, you know, sort of keep on keep on running and just the nature of life and the parameters of life and the, the daily grind is just always going to keep us together. You know, we'll always need to uh, you know, we, we uh, there there is going to be some kind of mutual experience. Just in listen, we both need to eat, so somebody's going to shop for the groceries. So you know, we'll we'll have to have that conversation, and we're both going to need to eat dinner. So we'll have that conversation, and uh, you know, I'll I'll show up, I'll show up for the you know for the school play or whatever it is. You know, when I'm supposed to be there, and because there are sort of those things that are just set in the calendar and the natural rhythms of life, so those relationships are always going to be there. And I think the message is take greater stock of it. Take greater, take greater note. Recognize that it requires, that it requires more maintenance. Maintenance during the during the interim. Just don't just you know assume that they're that they're there, but work on it. Work on recognizing them. Acknowledge it. Um, acknowledge how important that that relationship is. Those things that that keep us together and that hold us together. Make sure that they're uh, very present. That we're that we're taking note of them and that we're we're uh, practicing those habits frequently. I would add something that I I saw um, by uh, the the Hasam Sofer, who's a uh, a rabbi in uh, in Jerusalem. What a hundred years ago, hundred in uh, Pressburg, Pressburg. Yeah, oh, he didn't make it to Israel. Uh, unfortunately, not. It's not Western Europe. Western Europe. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the Hasam Sofer, he he said that the um, he sort of pointed out that it's not coincidental that the hooks, the overlooked thing, 
are the thing that's holding it all together. So I, I while I, I definitely agree with Rabbi Bienenfeld about not taking your spouse for granted um, and and the people close to you, um, but I think that he 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 took it in the direction he took this idea in the direction of it being. Um, sometimes the the overlooked the actual overlooked people people who are seemingly marginal people who are seemingly on the fringes who actually might be the hooks in the world um, and how you have to to look out for for people who you might otherwise overlook and try to try to really appreciate them which is really what this I mean you you mentioned it before but this whole reckoning at the end right there are certain people who float to the surface in this narrative right we hear a lot about Moshe we hear a lot about Betzalel. We hear a lot about Aholiyav, who was sort of the, whether he was sort of the, I don't know, the, the, the deputy uh, craftsman or whatever it was. But there are people who sort of take the, the material and they, and they fashion it. Yet we think about, about Solomon's temple. I cannot imagine that King Solomon lifted a finger for the for the sake of of building the temple. We think about you know about oh the great the great Herodian you know second temple or the great you know Herodian architecture of uh, you know scattered throughout or, or even architects Israel. today. Frank Lloyd Wright did not build uh, falling water. Right. See, I see. I think. Oh. I, no, 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 no. You're right. I think you're right. I assume you're right. I don't but, think he did. But I mean that I don't even think that that you know King Solomon was was drafting plans, was drawing plans, as opposed to an architect even. But it, it sort of it happens under his his regime, right? This is what happens when you're when you're the king. That you get you get your name on things exactly. So so I think that's exactly the point. I mean, I think that's exactly the point. The idea that yeah, there may have been some of these people who were real standouts in this entire narrative, but the fact of the matter is, it's it's everybody else, right? It's every little you know gold dinar and every little you know half shekel that was uh, that was pitched into the uh, you know into the the collection plate that ultimately added up to to. Every item being there and, and and being of the exact measure and the exact weight to have this uh, this temple that's uh, that's finally created. Thank thank you all for coming. The uh, portion podcast is recorded in Cherry Hill live tonight, uh, produced by Aaron Roller. Our theme music is "The Magid's Niggin" by Simply Spot. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends about it any way you can. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate us and leave a review. We are sponsored by the Pravda Family Foundation. Follow the show on Facebook. Have a good Shabbos next week. (laughs) And remember, there is always more to learn. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, everybody.